Pastor David just read a very familiar passage. It was the feeding of the 5,000. It was an amazing miracle. It's, it's a miracle that I wish that I could have witnessed. I mean, imagine seeing those baskets of fish and loaves never emptying and overflowing. Wouldn't it be awesome if our refrigerators and pantries were like that? The feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that appears in all four of the gospel accounts. It is the fourth sign or miracle in the gospel of John. Jesus' signs resulted in practical benefits. In other words, they helped people live their lives on a day-to-day -day basis. People were healed. They were raised from the dead. Demons were cast out. People were fed. The blessings people received from Jesus' miracles were incredible. Jesus' miracles played a role in drawing the crowds that followed him. But to focus on the only on the so-called practical benefits of Jesus' miracles is to actually miss the main point. Even though Jesus' miracles provided great blessings in this life, more importantly, those miracles pointed to who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God, one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And in each of these miracles, Jesus played his God card. In other words, he used his supernatural powers to prove that he was God. His commentator, Richard Phillips, points out, he said, Jesus performed as God without direct dependence on the Father and by the power of his own command. In John 14, Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And Jesus' miracles serve as a, a reminder. As Pastor David pointed out last week, all scripture points to Jesus. All 66 books of the Bible point to Jesus. Pastor David also stated that in scripture, God reveals himself to real people in real life. He added how John's gospel has several themes that keep showing up over and over again. One of those themes is light and dark. And another one of those themes is the big idea for today's passage. And that theme is that Jesus is God. When people looked at Jesus, they saw God. Remembering that the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 points to Jesus' divinity, I want us to use our imagination. The scenario I'm about to share is not from the Bible. It's kind of funny. At least I think it's kind of funny. Some might say it's a bit irreverent. It is. But I would add that it makes the same point as the feeding of the 5,000. And so here goes. Imagine if Jesus were walking with us here today. Many people would follow Jesus because of his teaching, but some would follow in the hopes of seeing one of his miracles. 
People are curious. People like a good show. Well, one day Jesus tried to get away from the crowds to be alone with his disciples. They went to Hawn State Park. And yet the, the crowds followed them. The, the park was jammed like a, a pool at the Lake of the Ozarks on Memorial Day. Soon, one of Jesus' followers, a man named Mike, realized that there wasn't enough toilet paper in the park's restrooms. Mike shared his concern with Jesus. Jesus already knew what he was going to do, but still to test Mike, he said, Well, Mike, you go find him. Go find some toilet paper. Mike knew that he couldn't do it. The Walmart in town was out of toilet paper, as were all the other grocery stores. Mike told Jesus that providing toilet paper for so many people was impossible. But Mike figured that he would do what he could do. And so he took action. He, he found a young couple, David and Denise, who were camping in the park with their little boy. David and Denise had one precious roll of toilet paper in their tent, and they were saving it for an emergency. But being good people, they gave it to Mike. They gave what they had. And Mike brought the roll to Jesus. And Jesus thanked his heavenly father for the solitary roll of toilet paper. And then he handed Mike the roll back to share with others. Mike trusted that Jesus could handle the situation. And amazingly, the roll never emptied. There was so much left over that each person had their own personal roll of toilet paper. In fact, they had enough toilet paper that the people went to the local Walmart and grocery stores and restocked their shelves. This imaginary miracle of the multiplication of the toilet paper met a practical need. Think about it. It doesn't matter if it's toilet paper, food, shelter, or, or whatever. God meets our needs. But more importantly, if this miracle had actually happened, it pointed to the truth that Jesus is God. Jesus did something that no human being could do. He did something that only God can do. If Jesus were here today and multiplied that toilet paper, we would have witnessed God at work. We would have seen Jesus. And Jesus reveals God to us. The problem is that you and I often miss him. We sometimes call evidence of God's work in our life, we call it things like luck or coincidence. Or we chalk it up to our own hard work. And even if we realize that God has intervened in our life, sometimes we forget. When the next challenge or problem comes up and we have to face it, we start fretting all over again. We look to our own strength instead of relying on Jesus. After the miracle the feeding of the 5,000, John wrote that the people said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into our world. 
And the fact is they got that part right. Jesus is the prophet, the prophet with a capital P, the long-awaited Messiah. But John continued writing, he said they were about to come and take Jesus by force to make him their king. See, they wanted Jesus to be their earthly king. The, the people didn't realize that Jesus already was the king, the king of kings, the king of all creation. They struggled to see Jesus as God. Again, the big idea of the feeding of the 5,000 is Jesus is God. But within this passage, there is something that might be easy to miss. Not only does this passage prove that Jesus is God, it provides an example that, in this case, shows us how to see God. See, the Bible and our lives make it clear that seeing God often begins with a problem or a challenge. In John chapter 6, the people needed food. God may use the challenge to test us. We look at our resources, we look at our abilities, and we realize that, you know, we can't do it. The problem is bigger than us. And we could stop there. We could give up. And that's often what people do. But that isn't what happened in this passage. The disciple Andrew and a small boy took action. To see God working, we take action. We give what we already have. And we also give thanks. We thank God for what he's already done. And we thank God for what he's going to do. And throughout it all, we trust. And we watch God at work. Over the next few minutes, we're going to look more deeply at the feeding of the 5,000, and it will help us to better see Jesus in our own daily living. As we said, seeing God often begins when we face a problem, a challenge, or, or a need. John wrote that there was a large crowd following Jesus because they saw the signs he was doing. And Jesus had gone up on the, top, on the side of a mountain to sit down with his disciples. It was near the time of Passover. And that might explain why there were 5,000 men following Jesus. They were gathering for the Passover, but their curiosity drew them to Jesus. And if you consider that there were 5,000 men, but also women and children present, you realize the magnitude of this crowd. The situation presented a test. And Jesus specifically tested Philip. Testing is often the first step in seeing God. Jesus posed a question. Where are we to buy bread so that these people might eat? And then John added that Jesus said this to test him, for he himself already knew what he was going to do. Jesus gave Philip the opportunity to think and to grow. We might think that it's wrong for God to test us. Why would Jesus ask Philip to perform an impossible task if Jesus already knew what he was going to do? Seems like a fair question. Why would God test us with problems? Think about it this way. School has just ended. It was a year like no other year with school being done online 
at home. And that in itself, I know, was a test to teachers, to parents, and to students. My guess is many parents have a new, greater appreciation for what teachers do every day. My next-door neighbor, Emily, is a teacher. She teaches high school math. She also tutors. And if that isn't enough, Emily has three boys. During the last months of the school year, Emily had to videotape each of her class lessons. Then she met during the week with her students one-on-one online to help them out. And, And she had to be the teacher for each of her own boys. Emily was tested, and she passed. In the middle of all of that, she could make chocolate chip cookies for her neighbors at least once a week. Emily is amazing. I've had a steady supply of chocolate chip cookies for weeks. And boy, do I need that gym to reopen. Not only was Emily tested, but like all teachers, she tests her students. When a teacher hands out a test or a quiz to their class, they already know the answers. So why don't they just give the students the answers and be done with it? Well, the reason is obvious. Testing requires students to learn. They have to study. They have to search for answers. And in the process, they grow. And it's the same with God. When God tests us, we learn. Hopefully, we grow. It's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. It's always worth it. Jesus tested Philip. Philip looked at the resources that were available to him, and he realized he couldn't do it. He couldn't feed 5,000. He said to Jesus, he said, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them in the crowd to get a little. One denarius was equivalent to a day's pay for a common worker. 200 denarii would have been roughly 8 months of wages. And that still wouldn't have been enough to feed the crowd. See, when God tests us, we often do what Philip did. We look at our own abilities, we look at our own resources, and that's not necessarily a bad thing to do. But like Philip, we often see that we can't do it. The problem is bigger than us. The problem is impossible for us to handle. And when we realize that, that is when we have the opportunity for growth. We take the first step towards seeing Jesus in our life. We say, God, I can't do this. I need your help. And poof, God helps us, right? It's not always that fast. Most of the time, God requires us to do something. We have to take action. Taking action actually helps us see God. There's there's an old joke. You've probably heard it. I don't remember it very well. So you can be assured that I'm going to mess it up. And since I can't see your faces, don't worry about showing signs of pity or disgust on your faces. And I can't hear you, so don't worry if you don't feel compelled to laugh. Just don't text or call me next week and say you didn't laugh or that you thought the joke was really lame. 
So here's the joke. There was a man out sailing in the ocean. And a storm came out of nowhere. It was fierce. And despite all the efforts, the man's sailboat was sinking. But he had faith in God. He knew that God was going to rescue him. And soon a laugh, life, uh, soon a life raft floated to where the man was stranded on his sinking sailboat. But the man didn't get in the life raft because he knew that God would save him. A few minutes later, another sailing boat came by. And they asked the man if he needed help. And he said, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. God's going to save me. And then finally, a, a Coast Guard helicopter showed up. They lowered a harness to the man so he could be lifted to safety. But the man yelled up at them. He said, I don't need your help. God is going to save me. The boat sank and the man drowned. When he entered heaven, he asked Jesus a question. He said, Jesus, why didn't you save me? Jesus shook his head and replied. He said, I sent you a life raft. I sent you another sailing boat. I even had a Coast Guard helicopter come to rescue you. But you refused them all. God will intervene. But we must ask. We must act. We have to respond. In John 6 it says, One of the disciples... Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? See, Andrew took action. He found a boy with some barley loaves and a couple of fish, and the boy gave what he had. What he had wasn't enough in the hands of the disciples. But he gave all he had. See, if we desire to see God, if we want to see Jesus working in our life, we have to take some action. The man in the sinking boat had to receive the help that God was sending. Taking action is as basic as receiving salvation. Being saved from the punishment that our sins deserve. We can't save ourselves. It's impossible. Only Jesus can do that and Jesus did it. But we must admit that we need saving. We have to ask Jesus to save us. We are called to trust our lives to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Our simple act of faith is all that's required. Jesus has done all the hard work. At this point in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus took over. He instructed his disciples to have the people sit down. John 6, 11 states, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. What did Jesus do after the people sat down? He gave thanks. The Son of God gave thanks for a miracle that he himself was going to perform. It points to a simple truth. If you want to see Jesus, if you want to see God at work in your life, you have to have an attitude of gratitude. Seeing God requires us to be thankful. 
Some people never see God because they, they never look up. They look down at their life. They see all the bad, all the pain, all the missed opportunities. They're negative. They live in self-pity. If we never recognize anything in life as worthy of thanks, we'll never see God. We need to look up. We need to open our eyes to the blessings that we have received. And if we do that, we will see the hand of God at work in our life. Sure, life is tough. Life's unfair. Jesus said, though, that we would have struggles. We can wallow in the wilderness of woe. We can look up, child. When facing times of testing, thank God for what he's done in the past. Write, write it down. Make a list. Read that list. Thank God for all the people and all the blessings he's provided on that list. Then thank God for what he's going to do in your current situation. God will act. God will come through. His action, action and timing may not be what we think we need. We might not understand what God is doing and his timing but his action and his timing are perfect. We thank God for what he's going to do because we, we trust Jesus. To see Jesus, we have to trust him. We trust him to do what's best. In John's telling of the feeding of 5,000, it says Jesus distributed the loaves and the fish. In Mark's gospel account of this miracle, it says Jesus broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. The disciples had to trust that Jesus knew what he was doing. They might not have understood what was about to happen, but they didn't refuse to pass out the bread and the fish. And then Jesus fed 5,000 men and countless women and children from five barley loaves and two fish. And they even had 12 baskets of bread left over. It is a miracle that baffles our mind. It proves that Jesus wasn't just some good teacher. Jesus was and is God. And we know that. We believe that. Still, though, trusting can be tough. I am a doer. And that means in the heat of the moment, when a problem arises, my first thought is, okay, what do I need to do? Instead of being a doer, I should be a prayer. I should start with prayer. My prayer might look like this. God, this is a big problem. I've looked at my abilities and resources. I can't do it on my own. I need you. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I thank you for all the blessings that you've already provided. I thank you for what you were about to do in my life. I trust in you, Jesus. You are my Savior, my God. Amen. Such prayers lead to seeing God. Today, 
is Pentecost. It's the celebration of the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out. There is no doubt that all who were present that day saw God in action. The Holy Spirit came with a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the house where the apostles were sitting. It divided as tongues of fire that rested on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in different languages. There were men from every nation present, and each heard the apostles speaking to them in their language, in their own language. And they were amazed, and they were perplexed. Peter then stood up and delivered a Holy Spirit-inspired message, and we're told that about 3,000 people were saved that day. The disciples' faith had been tested after Jesus' death. At Pentecost, there was the challenge of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people from different nations who spoke different languages. But the disciples took action. They spoke. And God intervened. Peter, an uneducated fisherman, delivered an amazing sermon. There was thanksgiving. There was trust in Jesus. And they saw God. They saw God act in a mighty, mighty way. We, you and I, can see Jesus every day of our life. Maybe he won't feed 5,000 or cause us to speak in different languages. Maybe he won't save 3,000 souls in our presence. But Jesus will work. Jesus reveals himself to us often in a moment of peace during a pandemic. He reveals himself to us as we speak to God in prayer. Jesus reveals himself in a friend or a relative who recovers from coronavirus. In memories of loved ones. We see God in the giggle of a baby. In the blessing of time with family and friends. As we read Holy Scripture in families sitting in front of a TV or computer screen worshiping God together. And we see God in a call to change, to change our attitude, to change our priorities, to not waste this difficult time without seeking God without straining to watch him at work and then realizing that Jesus is God. He is our Lord. He is our Savior.